All right, let's get to the word this morning. Sound good? Exodus chapter 17, all right? Go to your Bible and Bible apps, Exodus chapter 17. 17. Last week, our text was in Exodus 15 and the instance of the bitter waters of Marah and how the Lord turned the bitter waters into sweet waters and he revealed himself as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my healer. So in chapter 16, as you're turning to uh, our text today, if you read 16, you'll see that the Israelites continued to wander through the wilderness on their way to the promised land, promised by God to them all the way back in Genesis 12 to the patriarch Abraham, that this, is, this would be a land that they would possess as their own inheritance forever. Did you guys hear that? Forever. It's still their land, okay, promised by Jehovah God. Well, they had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and now they'd been miraculously delivered and set free. God just delivered them, and then he turned bitter water into sweet water to quench their thirst. But you can notice in Exodus 16, they just kept complaining, kept complaining and grumbling. We have no food. We have no water. We're going to die out here. We had pots of meat in Egypt. We had veggies that were fresh and crispy. We had Chick-fil-A and Whataburger and, and Panda Express. We had Chicken Express. Oh, my. All right. Well, they didn't actually quite call for those, all right? But they just kept complaining, and God kept doing the miraculous. Aren't you excited that God continues to do the miraculous in our lives? Amen. God is faithful, and he continued to show himself faithful and true. And uh, at one point, he brought all these quails so that they could eat meat, and then he began to provide heavenly bread called manna so that they could have food every morning. Then again, he provided water for them to drink, but this time it flowed from out of a rock. So much stuff was going on in the desert wilderness in chapter 16. And listen, if you find yourself in a desert wilderness or a desert season in your life, personally, spiritually, there can be a purpose for it. And we talked about this when God leads us to the bitter waters, when we find ourselves in those bitter waters, okay? Often, gang, God leads us through a desert experience so that we will get thirsty for him. So we'll get thirsty for him because we realize there's no water in the desert experience, in the desert wanderings. And we begin to get thirsty for what will truly satisfy us. And what truly satisfies us is him. So get thirsty for the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? And he will fill you. Don't be comfortable with just coming in and occupying a seat on Sunday mornings. No, get thirsty for Jesus. Get thirsty for Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 6, it's not in your Creek notes, it's not on the screens. But Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus is our righteousness, gang, and, 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 and he will fill us. Those who are hungry and thirsty for him, Jesus said, those are the ones that will be filled and full and satisfied, right? Amen? So now the Israelites are camped at a place called Rephidim, and, and, and a different trouble is about to happen to them. They are t- attacked Physically, Let's read Exodus 17, verses 8 through 16. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. 
So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go and fight. Go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, <clears throat> while Aaron and Hur held up his hands on one, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So it's here, gang, in this battle, as we've been talking about the various names of God in our series, and it's coming to, the, it's coming to a close, gang. We only have a few more names of God, okay? But it's here, after this battle, that the Lord reveals himself he reveals himself in the battle, and then Moses calls the Lord Jehovah Nisi. That's the Hebrew. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. So let's see how we got here. So it was a fight, gang. You know what I mean when I say it was a fight? This was a fight and a skirmish. This was actually the first real physical battle that the Israelites would face. This is the first time that they had to engage in warfare. The Lord had led them to this nice oasis where they were encamped, and this guy named Amalek brought his boys to kick them out of town so we could speak, okay? This is our turf. This is our oasis. This is our ground. Get out of here. It's like the Jets and the Sharks in West Side Story, okay? Amalek and the Amal Amalekites were desert nomads who lived in the desert just south of the promised land of Canaan where the Israelites were going. So they had to go through this land. So they most likely felt threatened by uh, this massive group of people who were marching through their land. They had to have heard how God miraculously delivered them from the hand of the Egyptians. And now here they were, traipsing and traveling and trespassing through our desert wilderness. <laughs> and here's some interesting trivia for you trivia geeks. I love trivia, okay? Amalek was a descendant of the person Esau. The, the, the Israelite patriarch, they, they began with Abraham... That's who God made the covenant promises to. Then Abraham had his son Isaac. We talked about him a, few, a couple of weeks ago. And get this, Isaac, if you know God's word, you studied it. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau, right? Twin boys. Jacob was the one who the promise of God to Abraham would be fulfilled. Esau rebelled against God and his father. Esau's the one, if you go back in Genesis and read the story, he had the birthright. 
It was going to be all given to him. But Esau sold his cherished birthright to Jacob for a boiling pot of hot stew. Hot chili maybe, okay? Somebody needs to make a chili and call it, you know, Jacob's chili. All right? <laughs> it's very tempting, okay? <laughs> but Jacob, he was so hungry from hunting. and uh, or Esau, was, he was a hunter and he was so hungry he came in from the hunt. And Jacob was being kind of manipulative and made this stew. And, and he's like, give me some of that stew. I'm dying out here. And Jacob was like, sell me your birthright. And Esau despised his birthright then. It's where the rebellion happened. And he said, what? that doesn't mean anything to me. Sure, it's, it's yours, okay? Although Jacob made many mistakes in his life, he still had a heart for God. Esau, on the other hand, his heart was carnal. His heart was wrong. And that is who the Amalekites came from. The Amalekites were actually distant cousins of the Israelites. And, dude, they were cruel. They were a cruel people. They wanted to wipe Israel out. They were driven by hatred and prejudice against them, probably going all the way back to their forefathers, Jacob and Esau. And it was a very cruel and savage attack that they did when they attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. First off, it was a surprise attack against, get this, everyday civilian people. Israel wasn't an army. They had not been trained. They were people. They were families traveling after being delivered of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. They, they weren't a military force. So the Amalekites came and attacked just regular old people, okay? And secondly, they attacked those that were at the very rear of the line of people first. They didn't come at Israel head on. No, they went to the back of the line where the stragglers were, the weak, the sick, where the aged and the weary, people who were lagging behind. That's who they attacked. They came in the backside and attacked them from, from, from you know, the, that end where people were not going to be ready to defend themselves at all. And their intentions were not good. I don't have time to go into the gross details of what, what army like this would do. They were just very, very cruel. So, so how did Israel win? How, how, how did they come out of this? We read as the battle was being fought, Moses got on top of the highest hill or a small mountain that he could where everyone fighting could look up and see him, and he held up the shepherd's staff that he had. Remember, before God called him in the beginning of the book of Exodus, he was a shepherd. So he held up the shepherd's staff that he, held, or that he had, and he held it up high, much like something like this right here. Now, if you've been on the Iron Man of God retreat, you've got one of these, okay? If you go on the Iron Man of God retreat, you're going to get one of these, right? How many of you guys have one? You still got it? I can't see that. Yeah. So Moses had this, and he held it up high, all right? And as long as Moses held the staff up high, guess what? The battle was being won. The battle was being won. So what was so important about this wooden staff that Moses held up high for everybody to see? This staff, well not this staff, but Moses' staff, all right? It was the staff of God. God had already done the miraculous through Moses by wielding this staff. This staff was used in many of the plagues that God struck against 
the Egyptians. One time, God said, take your staff and strike the waters of the Nile River. And as soon as Moses did that, the whole water turned to blood. One time, God said, strike the dust of the ground. And when Moses did that, all of the dust became like gnats and stuff like that, okay? In Exodus chapter 14, when the Israelites came upon the Red Sea, God told Moses to stretch your staff over the waters. And what happened? The Red Sea parted, right? Even going back to Exodus 4, when Moses was called by Jehovah at the burning bush, and he said, go get my people and bring them out of Egypt, Moses said, the people won't believe me. They'll say, God didn't appear to you. So God said, hey, what's in your hand, Moses? And Moses said, a staff. God said, throw it on the ground. What happened when he did that? It turned into a snake. Then God said, pick it up by the tail. And he did, and it turned back into his staff again. And God's like, God said, do that in front of your kinsmen, the Israelites, and they'll know that I am with you. The staff became the symbol that God was with Moses. And Moses was the representative of God to the people. The staff was a major sign that God was with them, okay? So as they saw Moses holding that staff up high, they knew God is with us. See, the staff was the banner of God in this fight. The staff was the banner of God in this fight. Now, if you study ancient wars or you read, or you're a fan of history, okay, banners and insignias and those kinds of things have historically been used in battles. They were very, very important. Usually it's a a sign or a standard or maybe it's a, a flag or something gleaming that would catch the eye. I read in one resource that I, that I had that said that in ancient times, often a banner would just be a, a simple rod with something metallic or an ornament that was attached to it so that the sun would hit it and it would gleam and shine. And matter of fact, if you look at the Hebrew word for banner, uh, it, it's taken from a word that means to glean from afar. So when people would hold it up, the sun would hit it and they would see and the sun would shine on that, okay? And, and they, would, they would show these to show who they're allegiant to and, and what team they were on. And we kind of do that today still, don't we, right? We, we flag the flags of our teams, right? Some of them are wearing them now. I thought, especially last week or the last couple of weeks, you know, but, but and, and these banners, they rally the fans. You could be wearing a, a shirt or a hat, you know, of your team, you could be going to the mall and somebody's like, hey, I'm a fan too. You know what I mean? You're like, who cares, right? They still lost or whatever. You know what I mean? But we wear them now and they rally the troops. They show allegiance. Some might need to choose a new team. I'm not saying who, but that's all right. I'm, hey, I'm not saying who or what team, but that's okay, all right? But the banner would be held high in a battle to give an encouragement to the troops. The banner or the standard was where their allegiance was. And the soldiers or the troops, they would rally behind the banner. And seeing them during the fight, whether it was in the fight or off at a distance, seeing that standard or that flag or that banner would give them courage because they were reminded of who they were fighting for and why they were fighting. So the standard or banner was a very important aspect in battle. You know, now we, you know, 
Basically, in battles and wars, our standards have become our, our flags, our country flags. And you guys know I'm a movie fan, right? And it, it, this was reminding me of, a, of an amazing scene that in a movie that really pushes the point. How many have seen The Patriot with Mel Gibson? It's a revolutionary war movie. Well, towards the end of the movie, there's a scene where the front of the line is broken. I'm going to set this down right there. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah, but it, uh, the front of the line was broken and all the, the troops were, were running away and they're retreating and, and Mel Gibson, he's playing this character and he sees that happening so he grabs the, uh, the makeshift American flag and he, he starts running to the front of the line and he's yelling, no, don't retreat, fight, don't retreat. And as guys begin to see that flag Going to the front of the line, it did something in them, and they were enamored, and they got courage, and they all rallied behind the flag, and they went back to the front line, and they won a decisive battle. That's kind of what a banner would do in battles and fights. Well, Moses holding up his arms and, and holding this, this staff up, it was reminding the Israelites that Jehovah God was with them. And they knew whose they were. They remembered who they were fighting for, and it rallied them. It gave them identity, and it gave them courage, okay? This was the rallying aspect for the, uh, the Israelite army. Imagine this newly commissioned general by the name of Joshua who would later lead the children of Israel into the promised land, thick in battle. He's down there right in the heart of it, and he looks over his shoulder, and he sees Moses. He goes, fight, right, fight. When the staff was held high, they fought valiantly and courageously. But as we see, if Moses got tired, when he got tired, and he lowered his hands, then the battle turned on the Israelites. When the standard, the banner was let down, they lost endurance. They lost stamina. They lost the tenacity of the fight. You see, Moses holding up this banner, holding up this rod, it represented Israel's total dependence upon God and his power. And they were learning a very valuable lesson in this first fight for fights and for battles and for situations and circumstances to come. Victory, even overwhelming victory, is only in and only through the Lord and him alone. And guys, that speaks to us. All the battles that we face, and we'll talk about them in a minute, overwhelming victory, victory is only through the Lord and him alone. See, God was teaching them a lesson about depending fully upon him during times of battle. So also, Creek, this is a lesson for us today. This story contains a great, valuable lesson for us today. You see, Amalek in the Old Testament represents our flesh and our fleshly ways. Amalek and the Amalekites represent our spiritual enemy in this war. And if you're a believer, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, I mean, you're not playing games with the Lord. I mean, you're, you are following him, okay? You are a threat to the enemy. You're traveling through his ground, his turf, so to speak, okay? And you've got a target on your back. And like the Amalekites with the Israelites, our enemy wants to try and take you out. 
to try to get you discouraged, to try to get you defeated, to try to get you to quit, to try to get you to give up, right? And we talked about that. I, I believe it was even last week that when God does some, begins to do something good in your life, a ministry, or he's answering prayers, or he's setting something up that where he's going to move, you can count on the enemy to come in and try to defeat, discourage, and distract you, okay? Looking, our battle is not in the physical sense like we read here with the Israelites. The apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 6, 12 that we we don't wrestle or fight against like flesh and blood physical enemies, but we fight and wrestle against spiritual forces of evil. Now, I grew up in the church, and I remember people, you say, when we give the devil a black eye? Um, not really, okay? Because we don't fight that way, all right? Now we can, you know, uh, spiritually maybe give him a kick, right? But we, we're not doing this, giving the devil a pile driver, you know what I mean, off the top rope or anything like that. No, Paul's like, dude, we're, we're fighting against spiritual forces of evil. And the truth is, guys, we are fighting a spiritual battle every single day. Every day. Every day. Look, gang, this thing is more than just coming to church on Sunday, getting our praise and worship on, going and getting something good to eat, and then resting the rest of the day, and then going to work Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday, and, and, and do, you know, wash, cycle, repeat, 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 you know? Dude, we're fighting a spiritual battle, a spiritual war every day. And Amalek, our flesh, is battling us. And the devil, our spiritual enemy, and our adversary is attacking us on every side. Jesus said in John 10.10 10, that our enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so the enemy is going to hurl things at us to try to trip us up, to defeat us. Temptation. And it comes in so many ways, right? It comes in so many forms. Evil thoughts, lustful notions, lustful actions, immoral suggestions, Urges to do wrong, urges to steal, compulsions to be dishonest, compulsions to lie, to be untruthful, to commit acts of pride, to behave in selfish ways, temptations to cheat in so many ways. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 5, 19 through 20 and 21, what the enemy tries to get at us with our flesh. And Paul writes, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Here we go. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger. Whew, easy, right? Selfish ambition. Hold on, Paul. You're getting too close. Dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. And he says, other sins like these. That's the battle of the flesh. That's why we battle every single day, guys. We don't just come to Jesus and all of a sudden, oh, all the temptations are gone. I'm never tempted to do wrong again. No, it might come even harder. That's Amalek and the Amalekites battling us. He attacks us with, with the temptations of being unchristlike in our behaviors, in our speech and talk. In our actions, he wants to get into our hearts and create prejudice, greed, arrogance, hatred, lust, loneliness, emptiness, brokenness, 
worry, fear, anxiety, none of those things are from the Lord. And so if we face those things, guess what? We know where they're coming from. It's a spiritual war and their spiritual attacks. The enemy wants to get you, trap you into that habit, right? Get you to stay in that weakness, give in to that temptation. The enemy doesn't want you to be like Jesus Christ. He doesn't want you to have any hope in Jesus Christ. He wants you to live and be like the world. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy what Jesus said. The Apostle Peter says that the devil is like a roaring lion seeking people to devour, 1 Peter 5.8. And so sadly, what most do, they try to approach this battle in their own strength, right? They fight their flesh in fleshly ways. They try to fight the battle on their own. Well, if I just do this myself, then it'll be okay. Ah, I have the power to not look at that internet website. I can do it. I can overcome it in my own. You can't fight our enemy in our flesh, in our own methods, in our own strength. Listen to Galatians 5.17. The apostle Paul writes, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. They're constantly fighting each other. And even our text, it says that from generation to generation, they'd be fighting against Amalek. And that's us every day. It's a spiritual battle game. Paul writes about this too. He's like, there's such a war going on inside of me. What I don't want to do, I end up doing. What I do want to do, I don't do. And he's like, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who can save me? And then he says, praise God for Jesus Christ. And he knew his strength was in Jesus. And we'll we'll, we'll get to that, get to him here really soon. He's the good news. But, But what do we do in this fight? Listen, we need to rally at the Lord our banner game. In this spiritual war, in this spiritual fight, you have to rally at the Lord your banner. Psalm 60, verse 4, the psalmist writes, But you, Lord, have raised a banner for those who fear you, a rallying point in the face of attack. Praise the Lord. We have to depend upon the Lord. We have to rally behind the Lord. We have to get courage from Him, remembering the Lord, that we are His and our identity is in Him. Now, I grew up as a kid in church, singing a song in children's church. You may have sang it too, where it's saying, the Lord is mine and I am his. His banner over me is love. Did anybody else sing that song? Three of you? Okay. All right. It went, his banner over me is love. It's such a great song. But the first line is, the Lord is mine and I am his. The Lord is our banner. In this fight, we know who we are fighting for. We know whose we are. This should give us courage. This should keep us going, just like in the fight. And this is our identity. And we know how to depend on the Lord and to fight under his banner, under him. We learn how to do this through the actions of Moses on the hilltop. 
and what his actions represented. Moses holding up the staff, gang, it, it represents prayer. Prayer. It's that simple, prayer. The Israelites, like I said, weren't a military machine. They weren't trained soldiers. They, these guys had never ever been in a fight like this before. So, so the battle wasn't won by their military strength or their weapons or their you know, prowess or their strategies, no. The battle was won and being won when Moses held that staff up, the banner of God, and Moses was praying and interceding for the Israelites. Moses was a man of prayer. He was constantly crying out to the Lord. And you know he was up there praying and calling out upon the Lord. Gang, this is how we fight. We fight through prayer. We fight through prayer. What does prayer represent? It shows that we turn to God, that we run to God, our banner, and that we call upon him, that we trust in him, that we take our cares and our concerns and we cast them to him, 1 Peter 5, 7, that we let him fight for us and we rally under and behind our banner, the Lord. You know, it's often been said that the battle is won on our knees. The battle's one on our knees. And that's so true because you see when we pray, we invite the Lord in. We give the control to him and the Lord enters us and the Lord changes us. When we come to the Lord and we pray, gang, he fills us with his spirit. He fills us with his presence and no matter what, we are changed. No matter what happens externally, we are changed internally because God does something wonderful inside of us and inside of our hearts. People often say that prayer changes things. Who's heard that before? Prayer changes things. Well, it is true. It's partly true. But the truth is prayer changes me. Prayer changes us because we get his presence. We get his peace. We get his comfort. We get his strength no matter what happens in the battle. And we've got to pray. Pray to make it today. You know? You knew guys it was coming. And I've quoted the non-theologian hammer before, okay, from the 90s. <laughs> Anytime we do it, I just throw that in there. But it's so true. He, MC Hammer. Oh, baby, there we go. MC Hammer didn't even know what he's talking about, but it's so true. Gang, every day you've got to pray. Every day I have to pray. That's where the battle is fought. That's where we rally behind the banner of our Lord. Prayer, gang. Because when we pray, we invite God in. And he comes in and changes us first. Then he moves out there, okay? Notice, it's interesting. Notice what happens when Moses, he gets tired and his hands drop. Because we all get weak sometimes, right? I mean, you can be the, the, the best spiritual, mature believer, but you're going to get tired. You're going to get exhausted. Some battles wage on. Some seasons last a while. And even in our prayer, we get tired. We get weary. We get weak. What happened? What do we see? Two men come alongside of Moses and help him. And hold his arms up. Listen, I can't underscore the importance for our brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside you. 
for you to ask prayer from others, for you to have other believers pray with you, agree with you, to pray for you in your life group, in your family, with your friends, people that you know, here at church. At the end of the service, when we, when we gather for prayer, to have people agree in prayer with you, what's going on there is they're lifting your hands too. They're supporting you. They are helping you. For we rally behind the Lord, our banner in prayer, and we fight together, gang. It's not a a solo fight. We fight together. And so we need prayer. We need the word. We need each other. And we need the Holy Spirit in this battle. Look, if you try to fight and defeat Amalek, your flesh and our enemy, in your own efforts, in your own strength, listen, you're going to get trounced. You're going to get routed, okay? Fighting and struggling against that temptation, that habit, that thing that that wars with your soul that's pulling at you, that thing that you know is not pleasing to God, that attitude, that behavior, that style of talking, that entertainment. Listen, God's word addresses all of that, right? But again, what happens when we fight in our own strength and ways, we're actually pulling ourselves away from the Lord. We're like, it's okay, God, you stay over there. I got this. I can win this battle, Lord. Woo, me, yeah. You just stay over there, God, and it's okay, all right? But then what happens? We typically slack off in prayer. The battle goes on. We, our church attendance Starts getting lax. We're not getting into his word. We're not praying. You know what happens when you get to that point? You're a straggler. You're straggling behind. You're becoming weaker and weaker every day. And just like the Amalekites did with the Israelites, that's where the enemy is going to attack very strong, those that are straggling behind. So get on the front lines. Stay on the front and pray and seek God. Get in his word. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the best way to fight. That's the safest place to be in the spiritual battle. On fire for the Lord, on that front line. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 3-4 says, So we walk in the flesh. We're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Look, do you want that person to change? pray. Do you want that situation to change? Get on your knees and fight. Rally behind the Lord our banner and pray. Do you need the circumstance to change? Pray. Do you want help in an area of your life? Pray. Do you need healing? Pray. Are you broken? You need wholeness? Pray. Rally under the Lord with God. Fight by praying. Not only will God move in while you're praying for but he's going to move in you as well. Jesus said in Luke 18, 1, he was actually he used a, a parable to teach that we should always pray and never get up, never give up. We should always pray and never give up. And here's the good news, gang. This war is not going to last forever. This war is not going to last forever. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 52 to 50, 57. I won't read it. But he's talking about how when this perishable puts on imperishable, this corruptible puts on incorruptibility, we're going to be with the Lord forever in eternity, gang. 
And one day, just as God promised the Israelites that he was going to wipe away Amalek off the earth, and he did, we see that during the reigns of King Saul and, and King David in the Old Testament. God one day is going to defeat the flesh and the enemy, be defeated forever. We will live without temptation, without fleshly appetites. We won't have an enemy prowling around us like a lion. We'll be perfected, living in perfect bodies for all eternity, living with our king and serving him forever. So don't quit. Don't give up. Hang in there because it, our end is our best. It will only get better for the believer in eternity. Amen? And if you're here and you're not living for Jesus, this world is the best it's ever going to be. And that's sad because this world is not very, very good. So while here, while waiting, we fight by yielding to the Lord, yielding to our banner. Psalm 20, verses 5 through 8, the psalmist writes, and Jacob, you guys want to come up the team? So he writes, may we shout for joy over your salvation. And in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. God has promised those that trust in him, that rally under his banner, they're going to make it. Amen? They're going to make it because he'll fight for them. And I love that. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. You see, total victory is in Jesus Christ. Total victory is in Jesus Christ. I listed in the Creed notes about four or five different scriptural references that show that Jesus, that victory is in Jesus. And, and here's why, gang. Jesus hung on the wood, right? And what was that wood? That wood was lifted high. That's our banner, gang. Just as I, Joseph looked back up on the hill and he saw, you know, two guys. There's three men there. And in the middle, one was holding the wood Jesus hung between two, okay? And Jesus hung on that cross that we'd be raised forever for all to find salvation and hope. So in this war against our flesh, against the enemy of our souls, run to Jesus, our banner. Rally behind him, rally under him. Jesus finishes John 10, 10 after saying that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, but I have come so that you could have life and have it more abundantly. He is Jehovah Nissi, the Lord, our banner. He's our encouragement. He has our allegiance. Rally behind him and his cross. And through him we're encouraged. We are changed in this fight because the cross, the banner of the cross the wood reminds us of how much we are loved. The cross reminds us of whose we are. His banner over me is love. And when we know that and we see the Lord, my banner, that should encourage us to continue the fight. We fight through the word, the prayer, and the Holy Spirit in us. 
Paul writes in Ephesians 6.10, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Lord, we come before you and we just thank you that you are our banner. Thank you that you're for us, not against us. Thank you, Lord, that we can run to you. And Lord, I pray that you would just convict us and move in our hearts, Lord. There's so many times, God, when we try to fight this battle on our own, in our own strength, in our own flesh, in our own power. And Lord, we just continue to come up short. We fail, we falter, and then the enemy comes in and he just pounces on us even more and we feel like we're not worth it, that you don't love us, that we've done too much wrong, that we've gone too far off course. Lord, let us run to you, the Lord, our banner. Encourage us and help us, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to begin to to really seek you regarding these fights that we fight, Lord. And when we do, I pray that, Lord, there goes the rod. (laughs) That, That, Lord, when we do, we will just feel your presence and we'll feel your peace and we'll feel your comfort and we'll feel your strength, Lord. And you'll equip us. And we'll actually see you fighting for us, Lord. That our banner is just not up on a hillside, No, it's right in the middle of it, right in the thick of battle. And God, I know there's a lot that are here this morning, they're watching online. Lord, they're going through some battles. They're facing things, Lord. And I pray, God, you'd show yourself strong on their behalf. I pray, God, that just as soldiers in times past would show their allegiance, Lord, to to the banner that they fought under, that Jesus, our allegiance would be to you. We would give you our full hearts and our full lives, holding nothing back. Help us to get rid of the idols and the idolatry in our life so that you have our full heart and our full allegiance, Lord. Speak to every heart this morning. Reveal to each one what what this name means, the Lord, my banner. I pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to ask those that, that have been coming up lately to come up for prayer. If you'll come up and just kind of go to the, the wings here up front, if, if, if you feel led to pray with people right now. And listen, as we sing this last song, it's our closing song. But man, if you need prayer for anything, we want to pray with you. This is a house of prayer, the Lord is here. And we want to run to him and rally behind him. So if you need prayer, we're available to pray. If you've never made Christ your Savior or your Lord, don't leave this place without saying, Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me of my sins. I I need you, Jesus. We'll pray with you about that as well. Let's sing this last song in closing. And let's all rally under and behind the Lord, our banner. Amen. Amen.